Hello, creepy cats. Welcome back to Ew That's Creepy podcast. Today, Jackie is going to be telling Melissa the incredible survival story of a young teenage couple who endured an act of unspeakable violence. Please be aware that this episode will discuss extensive physical injuries, emotional trauma, kidnapping, and both physical and sexual assault. This episode is our most emotional yet, and listener discretion is strongly advised. (laughs) What's up, creepy cats? Welcome back to the Ooh That's Creepy podcast. We are here today with another episode, and we're going to be doing our second survival story, and I'm going to be telling Melissa a little story from Pennsylvania. Why do there are so many freaking crimes and crazy stuff that happens in Pennsylvania in, like, Ohio. I don't know why. Jackie and our mom... We always, the three of us, watch crime, and every time it'll be in the intro, they'll say, like, the most shocking crime. We're always going to say Pennsylvania, Ohio, or West Virginia, because for some reason... The holy trifecta. (laughs) Like, true crime. The big three. Literally, the big three of true crime stories. We're at in Pennsylvania. Um, it's, like, near the Susquehanna River. Okay. So, I think that's, like, Northeastern is what it's called, the area. Near Wilkes-Barre, like... Isn't it Wilkes-Barre? Whatever, Wilkes-Barre. And what year is this? Uh, it's the year 2000. (gasps) We're going back a ways. Back, back, back. Back it up. Back it up to January of 2000, to be exact. You know, it was cold. How did you, how were you guys feeling about the survivor story from last week? Do you like this theme? Do you just want death? I liked it. I do too. I thought it was a nice switch up. Let us know. (laughs) Sorry, back to the story. No, it's fine. I liked it. This one, I'm just going to say, because I don't know, maybe this just might not be what you're feeling today, but I happy cried when I wrote my notes like five different times. I'm going to try to keep my stuff together, but it's a very... Like, one of those. Oh, God. A happy tearjerker. I'm hormonal, too, so I probably will cry. I am, too. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why I cried. But we'll just get right into it. As I said before, the story takes place in January 2000. I'm going to be talking about Danielle. Her last name was Keener at the time. And Dan Zepp. Dan and Danielle. This is random, but you know what I just thought of? Everyone is probably all happy in January 2000 because everyone thought the world would spontaneously combust on 1999 before they went into 2000. Uh, Yeah, you're right. That hasn't happened for a while, that people thought the world was going to end. When was that? Like 2014 or 2012? I don't know. Let's bring that back. Oh my god. (laughs) End of the world party. But... Yeah, I'm sure at this time, people were happy because it was the new year and everyone had survived. Um, Danielle was a freshman in college at Susquehanna University. So she was 18 years old at the time of the story. And she was about to go on her second date with a guy named Dan Zapp. 
He was 19, and he was also a freshman at Carnegie Mellon University. He was from Bethlehem. Not, a, I think they met through mutual friends. A mutual friend had introduced the two. Okay. So, they're just normal college students. Danielle had a roommate named Elizabeth who said that she met Danielle, she goes by Danny sometimes, on the first day of their freshman orientation. And she said that Danny was just very kind-hearted and genuine, had a great personality, was super excited about college like a lot of other people, and that they were, she just knew they were going to be like good friends and get along really well. And so everything was going good. Danielle and Dan had gone on a date before. They have this, like, cute little picture standing in front of Danielle's car. It's also cute that their names are Danielle and Dan. I know. That's what I said. I like that. That's cute. Dan better not be suspect. (laughs) I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) Oh, shit. I'm kidding. He's not. He's not suspect. Oh, thank God. For a minute, I was like, oh, damn. Dan is completely normal and awesome. Okay. (laughs) I was joking. That was no slight to Dan. That was just a joke. So the two were going to go on their second date. They really were just had good chemistry and stuff. And Danielle's mom suggested that they should go walk around like where Danielle was from and kind of just go around York, PA and see some stuff. That's a cute little second date. I know, it is cute. Yeah, they were going to go down to this marina that was, I guess, like around where Danielle was from and walk around. So it seems cute. Danielle and Dan, they were just stopped and chit-chatting. They were picking up some stones and trying to skip them on the water. Oh, I know. It's so cute. Cute and pure. Can you skip? Um, I don't even know. It's been so long. I used to just get two. It's still better than nothing. Can you guys skip? Let us know in the comments. (laughs) Let us know down below. Danielle recalls that they were, yeah, skipping rocks, chilling, hanging out, when a red pickup truck just drove by and stopped by, and a guy got out, and he had a dog, a Rottweiler, with him, and his dog got out, and he was just chatting with them. He seemed um, pretty normal. I think his dog, like, might have ran on the water. It was, like, just running around, normal stuff. And then he asked if they wanted a ride, and they said no, because I believe Dan had driven them there, so they said no. And the guy got back in his truck, and Danielle and Danny just continue, or Danielle and Dan just continue talking and walking around. And they weren't, like, paying a whole lot of attention, but the guy had turned his truck around at some point behind them, and he actually drove up next to them to their right and just blocked their path with his car and he immediately got out of his truck and had a gun and he pointed it at Danielle and Dan and just screamed to them get in the fucking truck (gasps) it's crazy how fast that can happen how fast oh my god I know he's just chit-chatting with you and the next second he has a gun in your face telling you swearing and everything like that and why them and for what 
they're so clearly they're clearly basically teenagers they are college teenagers students. Still. yeah they're 18 and 19 so what even if you were going to rob them what do you think they have Ew, ugh, Just, i'm so scared ugh, yeah daniel obviously could tell this guy was dead serious and she was very scared. She felt like it was just felt unreal, like it wasn't happening type thing. They get in the car and Dan was trying to kind of diffuse the situation. Dan was saying like, here, take my wallet, take my keys, my car. You can have my car. I have a laptop in there. You can have like basically whatever you want. And the guy just said, no, he didn't want any of the things. He made them get in the truck and he drove away. And he was driving for a while. Danielle and Dan didn't know it at the time, but he actually drove 12 miles. So when you think about it, that's at least 15 minutes. Like, that's pretty far. That is a far drive to... It's it's a far drive in the means that 15 minutes you could have no idea at all where you are when you open your eyes again. Yeah, and they could tell, well, they believed that he was drunk because he was kind of ranting and raving and just acting really not right, like crazy. Like he was acting erratic. wild. Yeah, he was erratic. That is for sure. But they just were really scared. They're just trying to say like the usual stuff. Like Dan, I think, was saying whatever you want to do, like, please and Danielle was obviously saying the same thing, like, we'll do whatever, just please let us go, turn around, all that stuff. Eventually, the guy turned onto a dirt road. <sighs> and I think he might have, that they might have gotten out of the truck at some point, and they were near the water. They could see that the river was right in front of them, and he started pacing back and forth. He still had the gun in his hand, and at some point he even started like shooting the gun towards the river and he was like saying I don't know what to do like he was just like basically bugging out like going back and forth in his mind I'm sure of if he should kill them or not what the hell is he on substances I do not know but Danielle said she obviously knew it was like 10 times even more serious when he actually shot the gun like that's how they knew he is not playing. He could literally kill me right now. Yeah, he's basically trying to amp himself up to do something in front of you. Ugh. Yeah, and they could just tell he was kind of getting more and more erratic. And Danielle just remembered kind of huddling next to Dan the whole time, like mm. just scared and standing next to Dan, standing behind him. So awful. Literally their second date. I know. Like... I'm sure they know each other, but it's like, you don't know someone to be going through all that. I mean, do you ever know anyone to be going through trauma? But like... What's worse, uh, knowing someone really well, be dating for years and going through trauma, or just having met the person? I... Girl, I really don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> Let us know. I have no idea, but either way, I could... I really couldn't imagine, like, your second date. Like, wow. <laughs> Eventually, the guy told them to get back in the car, and he told Danielle to get in the front, and he told Dan to get in the back with the dog, 
and Danielle just remembers sitting in the front of the car and he came around to the side so he's sitting in the front with her and then they were sitting there and he just looks over at Danielle and says so you said you'd do anything oh my god I really didn't want that to happen Sadly, Danielle did know what was going to happen, and she knew what he was talking about. And even sadder, she just said she nodded her head because she just didn't want to die. So, as horrible as it is, this man, this disgusting man, raped Danielle, and Dan was in the back seat. When Dan did try to protest something, the guy obviously pointed the gun at him and just wasn't having anything i mean what can dan do yeah and he's sitting in the back with a rottweiler i mean i kind of right like, oh, yeah his dog could also rip me up but sadly that did occur and when it was finished uh they he this man made them get out of the car and he pointed the gun at them and told them to go walk down there that no. was what he said not by the water, is that what he's saying? Yeah, Fuck. he made them go walk b- down by the water. Danielle said that she and Dan were holding hands and just holding one, e- one another, and they started walking down towards the water. She was just praying that he had gotten what he wanted from already raping her and that he would let them go or something. And before she even knew it, she just heard the gun go off, and she saw Dan fall in front of her. Oh, my God. There was blood coming out of Dan's mouth, and she knew that he had clearly just gotten shot in the face. She kneeled down to Dan, and they said, I love you to each other. (gasps) And he said goodbye. Shut up. Yeah, I said this one would be tough. I'm sorry. Yeah, what the hell, Jackie? I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. That is so sad. And that's when everything basically went black for Danielle. She didn't remember feeling any pain, but she remembered just feeling a lot of pressure in her head. And then the next thing that she knew, she was in the river. She was waking up and she was in the river, but she couldn't feel her body. She said her whole body was numb, but she knew that she had been shot in the face because she was spitting things out. Uh. So she assumed that she had been shot right through the mouth. <gasps> and she had. Uh. Oh my god. That is so traumatic. I couldn't even imagine what your brain would be thinking in that moment. Oh my god. This I story know. is very traumatic. It is. Sorry. I should have kind of given more trigger warnings like before that it's not wasn't like Mel's from last week. I'll put one in the intro. Thanks. Danielle just remembers praying with more faith and, like, more energy than she ever had, just praying to Jesus. Soon after Danielle was kind of just in the river and praying, she spotted Dan. And she just remembered thinking, oh, my God, Dan's alive. She could tell that he was alive, and I think he was actually trying to get to her. And so she just grabbed onto him and held on to him and she was like I think she might have been saying like you know what do we do who knows what they're saying I'm sure they're saying a couple like whispering but they looked back at the 
land where they had just been standing and the guy was just staring at them and he still had the gun in his hand and dan just said to danielle if we play dead and if we don't move and if we just float down the river he'll just think we're dead and he'll leave so so yeah i know right and so that's kind of what they did they just like floated and acted like they were dead and the guy did get back in his truck and they watched him leave but danielle was she wasn't paralyzed but she basically couldn't move she couldn't swim on her own and if dan wouldn't have grabbed her she really could have drowned or just not made it through the river right and if she was shot through the mouth i imagine if any like water or anything gets in her lungs she can't really mm-hmm. there was a duck hunter his name was pete He was sitting in his truck and he looked upstream and he saw two objects floating down the Susquehanna River and he realized that it was two people. So when he got out to help them, he stepped in the water and he could just tell that they had both been shot in the head. Oh my God. Was the water not that deep that you could walk through? I mean, it's a river. So like if you're near the edge, you know, I bet... It probably didn't pull them down super far. Maybe the road was, like, at a different... Maybe the the road and the current were going opposite ways. So, you know, they would float away from the guy. And I don't know. Right. I really don't know how far they floated. And I'm not sure, like, they do either. But this awesome guy named Pete saw them. And neither one of them could talk. But they were just shaking violently. And he just knew he had to get them help. Like, they were not going to make it... And so a car actually came driving, like, down the way, and he ran to the car and said, you have to get help. And it was 2000, so they don't have cell phones, I don't think. And he just said the guy, he could tell it was a guy and a girl, obviously, and that the guy was just bleeding so badly that the blood was, like, choking him, and he couldn't even really talk. Oh, my God. Danielle's father, Brent remembers that it was a normal evening on January 8th when he suddenly got a phone call saying that Danny's been shot in the face. Wait, did Pete pull them out or did he just see them? Uh, I'm pretty sure he saw them and pulled them out. Oh my god. Hero. I mean, yeah, he... I don't think they could have gotten out on their own and he... Yeah, he pulled them out. (laughs) I just didn't know if when he stopped the car, he was saying get help and send people to get them out, or if he had already pulled them out and meant get help. I think both. He pulled them out, and the car came by, and he was like, you need to go get help. I'm going to tend to these two. Gotcha. So they obviously did get them help, and they got to the hospital. Heroes. Yeah, Brent, Danielle's father, got that call. Could you even imagine someone you love has been shot in the face? No. He said he went and got a picture of Danielle and carried it with him and just talked to the picture on his drive to the hospital. Oh, my God. That just fucked me up. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. He just said he prayed and was just talking to the picture, hoping that he would see his daughter again. I'm like that SpongeBob meme of him just sitting at the table with a cup of tea in front of him, contemplating his whole life. Oh, my God. Same. I was literally doing these notes, just like, mm-hmm, like crying, <laughs> <laughs> sobbing at my desk. So Danielle and Dan were at York Hospital, and they were being treated by Dr. John Hankel. 
He said that the most extensive injury at all was on Danielle, and it was with her right lower jaw where she had been shot. Dr. Hankel said that the bones were shattered so much that it, her jaw basically looked like Rice Krispies in the x-ray. Ugh. What the hell? And they said that Danielle was super, super swollen, her whole face and her head. Uh, it was basically like the size of a bowling ball. Oh, my God. It's I can't believe she even survived. I know. And they said Dan's condition was like he was in critical condition. His was just as bad. They were really concerned that a blood clot could form just because of how much blood he had lost and it could cut the blood supply to the brain. So they were really worried. Police Chief Daryl Albright, he had um, two daughters who I believe were might have been the same age as Danielle. So I think everybody, like all the detectives, everybody was taking this super seriously and like was just so shocked and just so shocked that they were even alive at this point. So they were on it fast. And these are two teens going on their second date. So innocent. Just walking around the little, like, I know. Something super cute that a lot of teens do. But they were searching a riverfront area. They had a lot of ground to cover. So, like, right away, they were shoulder to shoulder looking at, at down at the ground like dogs just hunting. And eventually they came across a large pool of blood that was about three feet up from the water's edge. And when they looked in the water, they actually found three shell casings from a nine millimeter handgun. Oh, shit. Yeah. They were on it fast. And Detective Demangon, it's kind of a hard name to pronounce, but another detective was assigned to go to York Hospital to try to talk to Dan and Danielle as much as he could. However, Danielle was put into an induced coma, so they couldn't talk to her yet. And Dan could not talk, but he was awake. And they didn't know. They really didn't know if he would pull through. So as sad as it was, they thought that they just had to interview him as soon as possible to try to get some info. Wow. And when they did, Dan was clearly in a lot of pain. He couldn't move a whole lot. Everything was painful for him. But he was very eager to help, and he couldn't speak because he was on a respirator, but they got him a notepad and a pen so he could answer their questions that way. Oh, poor thing. Dan described through his notes that the perpetrator was a white male, 35 to 45 years old, blonde hair, and drunk. He was wearing a brown hat, blue jeans, and black Nike high-top sneakers, and Dan described the weapon was a black pistol and said that there was a dog there that was a black Rottweiler named Sam. So that is like really good information. He also described the car and said that it was a beat up red pickup truck with a white or gray cap. And he also noticed inside it was like a toolbox and there was also an aluminum baseball bat. Could they do any rape rape kits on... Danielle or no because of her being in water immediately after that's actually a good point and I'm really I'm really not sure Danielle couldn't talk so I'm really not sure if they knew that she had been raped they obviously can tell they've been shot because of their injuries so they're just asking Dan about who did it I'm not sure how much else they know but regardless 
Dan gives them this exquisite description and local investigators and detectives kind of just start chatting like it's a small area who do we know who's a violent piece of crap and owns a black rottweiler named sam and, <laughs> and beat up pickup truck you could put that in the news and i guarantee yeah. someone would call in the next five days and what do you know just from dan's amazing description the police already come up with a name they already have a guy named william babner who they think it is because they said He's had run-ins with police involving alcohol, domestic violence, and altercations with himself and others. And he had a Rottweiler. So, bam. And they came up with a photo lineup to show Dan. They obviously are going to put a picture of William Babner in there. Was it him? Was it him? Was it him? So, they take the photo lineup to Dan and they say, the detective's like, can you help me? I'm going to show you these pictures it's so dramatic because dan can't talk and this is just dramatic as hell to begin with i wonder is he nodding or is he writing down yes or no well the detective's watching him and he's putting down the pictures you know like a movie one by one oh just, my like, god him. and when he puts down the picture of william babner dan's he only had one of his eyes open one was swollen shut because of the shot and his one eye just dilated the detective said his eye was just <gasps> Like, oh my his, god it just opened he can't even talk but the detective just knew he was like he, it knew it was him and he said that dan just started hitting the picture repeatedly <gasps> no. and he said dan is that the man and dan wrote yes it's him and he said are you sure and dan said yes definitely and the deck the detective just got up and said dan we're going to get him oh so baller i love it that is like a movie yeah i, I, know. I hate this guy i can't even imagine doing this to i won't even do this to someone i hate let alone two innocent teens to shoot them and push them into water just letting their last moments be and to rape her in front of him yeah that's foul. horrible they could have been foul yeah i hate this person because it's like you're not even like they could have died from the gunshots but at the same time they could have drowned in their river and yeah. what a horrible thing Mm-hmm. or one of them could have died and the other could have survived and then they would have had survivor's guilt like i can't <sighs> believe they both survived i know seriously same but the detective notified everyone that they had a positive ID on the suspect, but they didn't know where he was. They went to his house and, like, other associated places he would go to, but they couldn't find him. And it was pretty late at this point. I'm not sure what time, but Detective Demangon said that he was really freaking tired, of course. He got home, took all of his stuff off. He was just getting into bed. When he got a call <gasps> from the detective saying, we found the truck. Get oh. back here. Oh, my God. That's like always reminds me of Joe Kenda. Every single episode. Oh, he's like, I just got home. My wife, my wife made dinner. fixed me a hot meal and I got a call. <laughs> and then I had to leave. Uh-huh. So Captain Roland Camacho from the York Police Department. He had gotten a call saying that they're activating a QRT team, which is quick response team, which is similar to a SWAT team that they're used in like high risk situations when it's like a hostage or something, a very violent situation. Uh huh. They didn't know if Babner was still armed or not. So they were just going to go in like he was because he 
shot two people in cold blood. Yeah. So they weren't going to take any chances. And they discovered, discovered pretty quickly that William Babner was staying at his girlfriend's house. And I think it might have been, like, an apartment, but... They arrived there at midnight, and they deployed a whole team around the place. They were in the alley, and they were kind of just, like, creeping up on them, like, hiding and just creeping. And sometime in the early morning, a woman left the residence, and they must have, like, snagged her, and she just told them, like, who all was in the in the house. And so it was around... They learned that around 8 a.m., uh, Babner's girlfriend's child was going to be getting out and getting on the bus. So they thought that after that happened and the bus left, that would be a good time to go in and do their takedown. So 8 a.m. rolls around. Captain Camacho has his, he's mic'd up, speakered up, has the earphones in. He's ready for takedown. And he said it was just so, so tense. He's hearing the snipers talk to them saying, Okay, we have an open door. There's a child. There's a man. It's Babner. He's in the door. He's waiting. And then they see the child, like, get on the school bus. And then they hear in the audio, the child's getting on the bus. The bus is taking off. Go. Go. And they just descend on this dude's house. They go in. They're yelling, like, let me see your hands. Get on the ground. All that stuff. Just slam right through his door. They said he actually seemed pretty shocked, but he went like peacefully and they cuffed him and that was it. They took him, took him in. How many days after the attack was that? I'm pretty sure the next day. Cause he <laughs> said it was midnight. Like when they arrived at dude's house and were like assembling their takedown. I'm glad he was shocked. Like you really thought you got away with it, bitch? No. I know. Right. When they executed a search warrant of his house, they found all the stuff that Dan had described they found the black Nike high-top shoes, the blue jeans, the hat, the shirt, as well as the gun, and the dog, Sam. Ugh. So, it was all there, and they were honestly just so shocked at how good Dan's recollection was right after he had been shot. Like, right. he recalled details. The dog just nods its head at police. Mm-hmm. Right. The dog's like, save me. Good for Dan. And it's it's so sad, too, thinking all of this happened. And then he immediately, after being shot, is, like, still trying to protect Danielle. Still looking for her. I know. Let's cut back to Dan and Danielle. Yeah, how are you, girl? Is she okay? She is not. Mm-hmm. When she was in the hospital, she was put into the induced coma. And they sewed her jaws shut. Um... It had been shattered, so they had to add a plate to her jaw. Oh, my God. I believe that her tongue might have almost been, like, severed off because the shot went through her mouth. I believe. (sighs) When she woke up, she literally had a tube coming out of her throat and a stomach tube. She was all bandaged, super swollen. Her jaw was really, really swollen, her mouth, yeah, was just wired shut. She said her teeth were all dirty. It felt like they literally still had dirt in them. And when she looked in the mirror, she said she wanted to cry because she hated what she saw. I'm so sad. What the... 
No one should have to go through that. And when you're 18 and your looks are everything to you, I couldn't even imagine that And you're trauma. just a young sprite in college, like... Thinking that's, like, the best you've ever looked when you're a freshman in college. I know. I'm so sad. Like, no one, no one should have to go through that. I know. Danielle looked next to her, and on the counter, it was the picture of her and Dan that they took in front of her car, and then she just, it kind of, like, all snapped back into place, her memory, and she just remembered thinking, like, where's Dan? I hope he's okay. And her family was telling her that he was alive, but she just said she had this, like, bad feeling that he didn't make it. And so they told Dan, and Dan actually wrote a note that said, I love you, I'm okay. And he gave, like, someone gave it to Daniel. I know. Can they see each other? Like, wheel Dan Wheel them in the same room. (laughs) I don't think. That'd probably be, like, too much stimulation. When Danielle was in the hospital, she also was on a lot of pain medication, which caused her to have really bad hallucinations that were really scary. She said she would often see bloody images, like a woman with blood on her face and blood everywhere. Her father remembers that she would, like, doze off for a bit and then wake up and would just be, like, screaming and pointing at... Well, not screaming because she couldn't talk, but would be, like, pointing and, like, frantic And she would write down that there were things like floating bodies and bloody faces that she was seeing. What the hell? He would just try to comfort her the best a dad could. Like, I couldn't imagine what you would do, but they were all just trying to comfort her the best they could. Dan said he didn't even realize, like, how close he was to dying, even after, like, the hospital and all that stuff. He knew that the bullet had entered the back of his head behind his ear and that there's, like, even now a tiny lump there. But the bullet went straight through his windpipe and out his jaw and exited through his cheek. What? He later found out that the bullet had chipped one of his vertebrae, but if it had hit one of his vertebrae, it could have killed him or left him paralyzed, and it was only an inch, if not a few millimeters, away from his vertebrae. Oh my god. God was with both of them that night. Like, literally God's plan. I couldn't, I can't even believe both of them had these, could have killed them injuries, and they both survived. I know. And obviously, you know, we have to put this guy on trial. And Danielle and Dan were really scared about it. And, like, no York County prosecutors really wanted to try this case because they're ticked. Babner wasn't taking a plea. Like, what the heck? The survivors are right there. But, I mean, he wants to stay in court, so that's his right. But prosecutors didn't want to take this case because they don't want to have to ask Danielle and Dan to relive this. Right. But one York County prosecutor takes it, and his name is Ed Paskey, and he says that Danielle and Dan were both very emotional before the hearing when they entered the courtroom for the first time. They were just really scared. Danielle said she was terrified to see him again and that, you know, he was like a monster, and Dan was also full of fear. He recalled that Babner's face just instilled panic in him. Like, just the sight of him was, like, instant panic. I mean, having to, at times, for hours, be looking at that person and talking about them. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Prosecutor Ed Paskey recalls that Babner did not testify at his trial and didn't even call any witnesses. Like, he had nothing. He had no case. He had a public defender, but they put on nothing. There was nothing they could say. Damn. They they really don't understand why he wanted to take it to trial unless it was to have Dan and Danielle face him, which is just, like, disgusting. But they said that when Danielle and Dan testified, it was obviously dead silent in the courtroom, like you could hear a pin drop. When Danielle was on the stand, it was really tough for her, and she said that she broke down a couple times because prosecutors and detectives showed her clothes that had been cut off of her that she had never seen before that were just covered in mud and dirt, and they showed her the gun and, you know, said, is this the gun that you saw is this what it looked like to you and it was hard and you know they had to ask her about the rape and she had to discuss those details in front of her her family it almost seems like this guy did this just so he could like see them in court because you that's honestly what they thought they're like what like what the hell why else wouldn't you take a plea you're gonna get lesser time if you plea like what the hell yeah, it to me, it seems like he's disgusting and he just wanted to hear those details again because you know you're going to get found guilty and it's just like trauma building on top of the trauma you tried to relieve by having to look at this guy and testify. It's just sickening. It's sickening. Like, literally, who does that? Death by castration. <laughs> the only acceptable form of punishment. But everyone is just, like, so taken aback by their courage. Like, everyone is really just... Especially Danielle, you know. It's hard for both of them, but Danielle to have to detail this rape in front of her family and in front of him. Like, who did it? Just, ugh. I'm astounded by their courage because part yeah. of me would just be like, no, I don't want to do this do anymore. It. Mm-hmm. Dan recalls that through the whole situation, he was just focused on figuring out a plan to get them out of it. He said from the jump he was trying to figure out what to do and he just thought that there was going to be a way out of it. And he said that when he had been shot, he just felt a tremendous force hit him. The impact was so hard that it just knocked him straight to the ground. And he said it was so powerful that it was like the force hit him before his mind could even catch up to it. Whoa. Mm -hmm. He said he didn't even really know what had happened until he hit the ground. And then that was when he realized what had happened and that he knew because blood started coming out of his mouth and he was really cold and really tired very quickly. He does remember telling Danielle he loved her but saying, I have to go now. And he said the next thing after that he remembers was just being rolled, just being rolled into cold, freezing water. So he fell on the ground and this guy pushed them both into the water. Rolled them. Rolled them in the water like they were nothing. What the fuck is wrong with you? I really have no idea. Danielle just recounted that Dan was like her lifesaver. She said that, yeah, she remembered one time their hands separated and that she couldn't move. And Dan swam back for her. (gasps) Mm -hmm. The jury literally... Didn't even go out for a full hour. They didn't even finish an hour of deliberation before five men and seven women came back with a verdict of guilty on all counts. So two counts of attempted murder, two counts of kidnapping, two counts of aggravated assault, four counts of rape, three counts of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, 
one count of robbery, and two counts of possessing a firearm without a license. Take that. I just had to, like, literally stop talking for the past however many minutes because I was going to cry. Like, this is so sad, but at the same time, I'm so glad that that guy got every single charge. Yeah, and they just said there was, like, the evidence against him, even without the victim's testimony, testimony was overwhelming. There was so much. There was other witnesses who I didn't even mention. There was just... It was overwhelming. So... He Take was that, William. Yeah. William Babner was sentenced to 117 to 235 years and he won't be eligible until at least until he is at least 158 years old. So, I'm surprised he didn't get the death penalty. I know, right? I really am too. Like cuz there's two of them and not only did he try and kill them, he assaulted her. So I'm pretty surprised that he didn't get the death penalty. And then the fact that he didn't plead guilty is even more. I know. I'm not saying I think that's what he should have gotten. I'm just surprised. I do. I guess he didn't kill them. That's probably the only reason. Honestly, that's the only reason why. But he thought he did and he tried to. So I don't think that should even matter. I don't know. But prosecutors, everyone just really emphasizes how Dan is like such a hero. Like he was just such a hero. But Dan, right after, said it was still tough. Right after it happened, he didn't consider himself a hero at all, and he often would think about, like, what he could have done differently. But he said, if me being there means that she survived, I'd do it again. I'd do it again a thousand times. Damn, Dan. (laughs) Literally. You just fucked me up, because, like, it's just, like... The fact that you went through something so traumatic and are still putting someone above you and being a hero, like... I know, it's tough, and it's sad because Dan said that after it happened, you know. Him and Danielle stayed in touch, but he said that when they would talk, it brought up a lot of emotions for him. It was hard for him. Right, because they didn't really know each other before that. They went on one date and, like, they loved each other as people, I'm sure, but they don't actually... Yeah, and as sad as it is, Dan said initially after it happened that he did start to pull away from Danielle and just other people in general. When Danielle went back to school... She was also a bit withdrawn. Things were hard for her, you know, going back to college after that happened. But Can she talk again, like, normal? Yeah, yeah. She's recovered, and she went back to school. I'm not sure how much longer, but she still did go back to school. Wow. And her roommate, Elizabeth, you know, said it was hard for her that Danielle had a lot of nightmares and would get upset, and that... It, not that it was, like, hard for all of them, by no means, but she said... They're, they tried to support Danielle, but at the same time, there wasn't sometimes a whole lot they could do. And, you know, it's hard being a college roommate, but they just said that, yeah, they were, like, really there for their friend. And four months after Babner was convicted, Susquehanna University had um, an event called Take Back the Night, which is a rally against rape. Aww. And that name, cute. So at this event, it's kind of one of, like, an open mic type thing. Like, anybody can get up and just share what they want to share. And Danielle and Elizabeth attended, and 
Um, Danielle said it was, like, very helpful, you know. She saw all these brave women getting up and telling their story. And realizing, yeah, like, you're not alone. You might, your experience was something that happened that's solely to you, but you're not alone in the fact that there are other people who have to live with trauma every day and go to college and things like that. Exactly. And Danielle's roommate, Elizabeth, said that there was, you know, a couple minutes where it was just quiet and out of nowhere, Danielle got up and she told her story. What? At the rally? Danielle. You're gonna make us cry. So, out of nowhere, Danielle gets up and tells her story. She tells the whole thing, everything that happened to her. And everybody was just so proud. But it also was a moment that Danielle felt like she really could claim her power. She she was a survivor. And she was gonna tell that to, like, everybody. Yeah, I feel like that's the moment she went from, I mean, I don't know because I don't know her, but just based on the story, it seems to me that's when she went from being a victim to being a survivor, and now it's her story and not just something that happened to her that she's living with. But the strength and the power, like, like, I'm astounded. It's so moving. Like, it truly brings you to tears. It's just incredible. It did take Dan more time to heal, but eventually, um, he started getting to a a better place and a healthy place where he felt like he could talk to Danielle about it. So they have reconnected and they are very good friends. He said that they kind of got to start over and they're closer now. They just have a bond that's, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's indescribable. Oh, I'm so glad they're friends. Uh Uh-huh. And Danielle recalled that in an article in 2011, she said that Dan had met an amazing woman at college who had been a great companion and was able to help him, and they ended up getting married in 2007. Yay! Oh. Mm -hmm. In Danielle's spring of junior year, her roommate Elizabeth introduced her to Kevin McGuire, They connected instantly, they dated, they fell in love, and he proposed to her. And at their wedding was the police chief and the men who rescued Dan and Danielle. Mm -hmm. The duck hunter was there. This is so cute. Like, this should be a movie almost. On one hand, it's so tragic, but on the other hand, it's, like, filled with these moments. Like, one minute I'm crying because I'm so devastated by what happened, and the next I'm happy crying because... I know! I'm, like, torn up. They just said Danielle looked beautiful. Like, they're all so proud of her. They said, you know, Danielle's really healing. Dan is working on it, but totally healing. As of 2011, they were both doing great. Dan, at that time, was studying for his PhD in psychology, and Danielle Keener McGuire is a licensed clinical social worker. Just insane. Like, insane. What a hundredth episode. I cannot believe you just came in and did that on our hundredth episode. Like, what the hell? I'm gonna fuck us all up on our hundredth episode. Yeah, that was one of the most tragic but touching stories I've ever heard. The fact that they both survived, I'm so happy about it. But what they had to do to find their peace and everything is just astounding. It's hard. Admirable. Like, the strength, the strength they showed just truly inspires me to, I don't even know, have faith in 
right? I don't know. Even at your lowest moment, help someone else. Put yes. someone else above oh my yourself. God. Like, I'm so touched. We need to wrap it up. I need to fix myself. I'm <laughs> not okay. You just wrecked us. I'm sorry. I wrecked myself during this story. Like, I really cried so many times. But, like, happy and sad tears. It's just really so inspirable. Like, yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Our 100th episode, truly some of the lowest lows and, like, the highest highs of a story we've ever done on this show ever. So true. Was that on I Survived? I believe it was. Of course. There there was, like, an A&E or, like, some other TV coverage. I'll also, link, put it in the notes, you know. It sounds like some I Survived. I'll put it all in the notes. You guys can catch up. (sighs) Well, let us know, you guys. Sorry we're emotional on this, but at the same time, I'm not going to apologize because clearly what we just listened to was devastating and joyful at the same time, so I'm not going to apologize for that, but... You try telling me all that with a straight face. (laughs) Let us know if anyone cried along the way. Um, I'm sure this could have been very triggering, but for you guys who are still here with us, we love you. We appreciate you. Thanks. Yeah, we love you guys. Thank you for listening to the 100th episode of Ooh, That's Creepy. Let us know what you guys think. There's still stickers. If you want two stickers for $5, let us know. Come follow us on Instagram, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at Ooh, That's Creepy Podcast, or send us an email at Ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.